Welcome to Hooked on Stereophonics. I'm Steve Zimmer. As always, I'm here with James Q. Today, we have possibly my favorite guest so far, Mr. Frank Turner. Hi. Hello. So in this podcast, we talk about the connection between music and literature and how they affect each other, your songwriting, your own personal, whatever you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So for the first few minutes, I'd like you to talk about the first book that really affected you either as a person or a songwriter or both. Oh god, it's <laughs> launching right into the deep end. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been like a voracious reader for ever since I can remember, really. Um, like, uh, I w- well, and then, okay, so here's the next thing is that um, I was put up for an academic scholarship by my parents when I was a kid and uh, when I was 13 years old. And in the run up to that, I was sort of slightly kind of crammed full of. Uh, Education, like I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this is a bad thing. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing, of course, but I mean, there was definitely there was quite a few books I read when I was about 12, 13. That the idea of me having read them at that age now is kind of faintly ridiculous to me, I and mean, uh, most of which I've gone back and reread. Like which? Um, which well, I mean, I was a, I was a huge Graham Greene fan when I was a kid. Um, Joe Graham Greene, he's, he's a British um, writer. He's one of those sort of people who sort of like. Um, Teeters on the edge of of respectability in literature circles. Do you know what I mean? Like some people think he was just kind of like a kind of thriller writer. I think that that's bullshit. Personally, I think the Power and Glory is one of the most intelligent examinations of human morality and and fallibility that there is. Um, But so he's sort of like a. Uh, a British Stephen King, or like a uh, kind, kind of, yeah, kind of. I mean, he was he mainly wrote he wrote sort of from I want to say like the thirties to the fifties. He wrote he was a very prolific writer. Um, but like *The Power and Glory* is a story about um, a, a sort of lapsed Catholic priest who ends up in a Central American civil war, and him sort of wrestling with religion and with moral duty and all this kind of thing. Um, Armand Havana is about a guy, a vacuum clean salesman who, who accidentally gets hired as a secret agent. And um, I feel like I've heard of that. One. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a lot of his stuff is, is, is was certainly in the UK is very well known. But I read all that when I was like 12, 13, and then I've had to reread most of it. <laughs> the, the, the example, the, the one that springs to mind though, is George Orwell, because um, and kind of all of George Orwell, because. I went to the I, the academic scholarship I got took me to the same school that George Orwell went to, but it's a very socially elite school right. and uh, within which there's a small subset of scholarship kids. So I was kind of like the outsider at the kind of like social elite school, which right. was a very weird position to be in in life. And my two lifelines were George Orwell went there and he wasn't a dick, so <laughs> therefore must immediately read all George Orwell, right. um, which I did. And then also The Clash, yeah. basically, and punk rock more broadly, but. Joe Strummer was privately educated as well, and that the fact that he had been through a similar system and also not come out as a complete brick was was my other kind of lifeline. And those two things sort of kept me afloat at the period of time when I was. I mean, I think I probably would have been angry and confused anyway because I was an adolescent, and that's what adolescents yeah, adolescent do. Too, yeah. yeah, but but I mean, my particular species of it was very related to feeling completely out of place of where I was in the world. And yeah, Orwell Orwell's books were a big part of that. Yeah. What, what kind of effect did Orwell stuff specifically have? Well, I mean, it certainly it made me think a lot about language and it made me think a lot about politics. Right. Um, I mean, I certainly, I definitely sort of was a card-carrying anarchist in large part because that, you know, Orwell had fought with the anarchists in Spain um, uh, for, for a good few years there. Um, but I think it made me think about, you know, politics in the English language I still think is like the essential essay to read about politics full stop, you know. 
Um, I'm not sure that Orwell's a particularly poetic writer, necessarily, but he certainly he's a master of prose, I would say. Um, Again, not that I would have necessarily made these kind of distinctions when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old. Right, but now you can think about it. Yeah, thinking back to it now, certainly it, it made me think about language as a as a sort of thing unto itself and as a potentially as a tool, I suppose, yeah. as well. Do you think that carries over now into punk rock and why you're an anarchist? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as an anarchist anymore. So, um, I certainly think in terms of, I mean, um, my mum said something funny to me not that long ago, actually, which is that she wouldn't have guessed that I was going to be a musician when I was a kid, but she definitely knew I was going to do something involving words. So I think it's an interesting comment to have made. Um, uh, and certainly, like, I spend a very large amount of my working day thinking about words and how they fit together and what you can do with them. So about the changing political ideologies, can you talk about books that have affected your political ideas? Yeah, Back I mean, in the day and also now that they're... Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was very interested in anarchism. I read a lot of Chomsky, um, who's somebody who I'm not a huge fan of these days because I think that his intellectual world is insular and irrefutable. I've never seen Chomsky engage with a critic other than to essentially ad hominem them. And I think that right. that's the sign of uh, a dangerously cultish world for you personally. Um, just like uh, the social elites, I guess. Yeah, well, quite, yeah, kind of. I mean, I, you know, I sort of I respect Chomsky's intentions, but I just think that his connection with reality is not always direct. Um, uh, but I mean, so you know, I read, I read, I read endless Chomsky when I was a kid, and I read. I mean, I went through the gamut of the left. Essentially, I read all of my Marx, and I read. Um, lots of that, Bakunin and Kropotkin, lots of anarchist stuff. Like I swallowed all that stuff. I actually had this really weird thing that happened to me. When I was at, one of the things that happened to me at school is that you had to, you either had to volunteer for the, you had there was a volunteer program thing, and you had either for a year you had to do like Wednesday afternoons in the army or Wednesday afternoons doing like working in like the charity sector. And I was like, I'm not fucking going to army, like fuck that. So um, I ended up working in this bookshop, charity bookshop, and literally on the first day that I started working there, and this one I was about 15, so anarchism was a thing in my life. Uh, they, you know, people used to kind of bring in boxes full of books and didn't want anyone to sell a charity shop. And this guy brought in a box full of like literally the library of anarchism, <laughs> like every central text of philosophical anarchism that there is, from like Bakunin through to Nozick. And and like and I was just like, what? <laughs> like, is, and so I was like, I, w- I want all of these, and you know, obviously I bought them. Yeah. But like, and and I've still got them actually. Um. So you know, I went through all that kind of stuff and like um. Uh, my, my feelings on politics have changed a lot as I've got older. Um, that's a challenging thing to do in public in some ways because uh, I still get people kind of bringing up comments I made when I was 19 and it's like, yeah, I'm 34, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> um, uh, but like, I mean, my, chain, my changing on that had, it wasn't so book related, I wouldn't have said per se. Um, uh, it's more just kind of gaining life experience. I mean, um, I'm castigate myself more than anybody else in saying this, but there's something faintly ridiculous about being like an 18 year old who's never really worked a job coming up with social theories about how the world works. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> I mean, in terms of books I've read since then, well, the first thing I've done, which I think an awful lot of people who I know, most of my friends are on the left still politically, and that's fine. I would describe myself as a militant centrist in my politics. But within that, like, um, you know, I have actually read my Hayek and stuff like that, and my Murray Rothbard and all the rest of it, and I know so many people on the left who are filled, 
sound off about hiring 24 hours a day I've never read a word that the guy actually wrote um, which I find again I find intellectually challenging as, a, as an approach um, uh, if I may I'm not going to lie I haven't heard of either of those names okay Hi- Friedrich Hayek is a guy who um, I'm one of those leftists you know. oh, okay. <laughs> Friedrich Hayek wrote a book called The Road to Serfdom in 1944 uh-huh. he was a, a fugitive from Nazi Germany but he wrote a book essentially pointing out the commonalities between national socialism and international socialism um, and it, uh, advocating the free market essentially um, and economic li- liberalism as right. well as social liberalism and he's kind of a demon figure for a lot of people on the left um, uh, and I mean you know about a third of the road system is a justification for the existence of welfare states so I mean it, it, a lot of people kind of have pegged a lot of things on guys I'm not saying I'm Hayekian by any stretch of the imagination but I, I have at least read what he had to say you know what I mean um, but you know like I said I'm, I'm sort of interested in John Stuart Mill is, is uh, and Benjamin Franklin really are my sort of like philosophical touchstones but I, I believe in liberalism uh, militantly you mentioned we, we like did some research and Interviews and whatnot. Uh, you mentioned Catch Twenty Two a lot. Can you talk about yeah. influence that's Yeah, that I mean, well, I just, I mean, <clears throat> I just fucking love that book. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the simple version of it. Like, I read that, and actually, that's one of the books that I read when I was about thirteen and didn't really grasp the full ramifications yeah. of what I was reading. And then I've kind of gone back to it just time and time again. And um, uh, you know, I just, I just think it's one of my favourite works of literature. I mean, I can't really sort of get into masses more kind of technical detail than that. I just think it's really good. Um, Yossarian's kind of like my spirit animal. I uh, <laughs> feel, you know what I mean? And I'm definitely, I've been trying. I haven't quite figured out what it would be, but I really want to get a Yossarian tattoo at some point. I was thinking maybe just that image of him kind of rowing through the streets of Gibraltar yeah, would be kind of cool, you know. Um, so I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, I just, I just one of my favorite books. Uh, you also mentioned East of Eden a lot. Yeah, um, Steinbeck is, is a great writer. Obviously, I mean the, <laughs> the obvious things to say in the interview <laughs> number one. Um, but like, um, you know, I read I kind of read Grapes of Wrath and Might and Men at school, and that was fine. And I um, decided to read, try and read more widely, and I read East of Eden. And I have, um, you know, I have a lot of complicated issues that are not anybody else's problem, or I suspect interesting to anyone else, but to do with my kind of social background, my parents and all this kind of thing, I'm, ex- I'm estranged from my father and this sort of thing. And <clears throat> one of the themes of East of Eden is kind of, is that idea of Tim Shell and the idea of essentially moral responsibility for your character and the idea of blaming who you are as an individual on anything other than your own volition is ultimately bullshit. You are responsible for the person you are and you can't blame your moral choices on your mum and dad or whatever. And, and that, that was a really powerful message for me to read. Mm. And it's certainly kind of a center, a central plank of my approach to life. Do you know what I mean? It's like right. whatever I'm responsible for who I am, what I do, and what I say. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. Fugitive pieces. Yeah, and Michael's. I, mean, yeah. I, 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 I don't know that one at all. So it's not a particularly well-known book, I don't think. Um, a friend of mine gave me a copy when I was a kid. Um, actually, the other day, uh, my publisher for the book that we're talking yeah. about today as a sort of thank you because the book's done very well for me and for him he gave me a signed first edition of Future Pieces nice. which is just like I, okay that's so great you that's got me do you know what I mean it's like um, anyway the, um, it's a book a woman called Anne Michael she's a poet and uh, she wrote a, a novel called Future Pieces and it's about language but it's about the Holocaust and it's about um, 
It's about the way that the memory and language interact because it's about a kid who grows up speaking Yiddish, is then rescued by a Greek archaeologist, um, and then moves to Canada. So he has three distinct periods of his life that are each associated with a different language, and it's about how they interact with each other, and it's a, just a phenomenally intelligent and wonderful and beautifully written book. That sounds really great. I, I love stories about, like, basically you said, like, the different pieces in people's life and, like, yeah. uh, you know, immigrant stories coming from Europe to America and how they intertwine with, like, American culture. Yeah, definitely. Little movies like Brooklyn and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Completely. So you have a new EP out, the Beyond's yeah. EP, and you have a song on it called Cleopatra in Brooklyn. Yes. Um, what was the reasoning behind using like the Cleopatra myth or a story as um well it's just <laughs> trying to answer this in a way that isn't overly soppy it's a song, <laughs> it's, a song it's a song about a friend it's not it's not a romance song it's right. a friendly song but um my best friend is called Erin I'm having dinner with her once I finish my sound check. and uh she lives in Brooklyn and I was thinking I wanted to write her a song also, the music to that song I wrote when I was about 13, 14 years old, and it had a different set of words, and those words were fucking terrible. <laughs> um, and it's something that's been on my kind of, I want to rework this at some point kind right. of path for a long time. And I thought maybe I'll give it a go talking about my friend from Brooklyn. And um, uh, I was just trying to think of kind of people that she made me think of and then that just went to mind. <laughs> Which I mean is a compliment, of course. Yeah, uh, but also just that that thing of like, there's a line in a song about like Anthony begging at your door, and I like that idea of her sort of like, um, dominating kind of <laughs> the the ruler of the Western world or whatever, yeah. something like that. I think. Yeah. Because at the time you didn't have that many powerful women rulers, so like. Clear yeah, completely. I mean, uh, um, well, both Caesar and Mark Antony lost their shit, yeah. so <laughs> she had something going on. Are there any other like historical stories you love reading or reading about? Yeah, I mean, I main history is my main thing that I read. I studied history at college, um, at, which was an increasingly long time ago. But um, I uh, I read history all the time. I'm actually working on a history album at the moment. I, I can't really say very much more about it just yet. We'll, we'll edit this out. Well, that's fine. But, <laughs> like, but like, I I, I definitely I'm, I've got a, a suite of history songs coming together. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. But it's, 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 I mean, we should do this interview again once there. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> Absolutely. That's Absolutely. a good idea. Similarly to the Cleopatra Brooklyn example, you have another song on positive songs that you have people about one woman, uh, Silent Key. And I'd like yep. to know mm-hmm. your like, <clears throat> mindset of how that song came to be and how the process was to write from this perspective. Mm-hmm. And then the second Yeah, person. yeah. Well, okay, the first thing, like, I, um, I can't quite figure out if I can remember the Challenger disaster directly or not. Do you know what I mean? It's one yeah. of those things that's like that was like what eighty six. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah. I would have been I would have been four years old, and and it sort of teeters on the edge of my memory. And I can't remember if I can remember it if I can remember sort of the, the aftermath or whatever. Knowing about it, like, yeah, yeah, or whatever. That's, but, that's kind of like how I am with nine eleven. Like I was in right. third grade. I remember like being taken out of <clears> class for that. But I don't remember like. Mm. I remember hearing about seeing it on the TV. Yeah, like right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then, um, I don't know, I was just kind of like thinking about it. This is a few years ago now. I, I have an endless and completely disorganized collections of notebooks that I take notes in. And 
almost part of my creative process is finding a notebook that I've lost for the last six months and going, oh shit, yeah, that was a good idea. Um, but uh, I had, I've had Chris McCall's name written down in various notebooks for a long time. And um, uh, it just, you know, I mean, I, th- I always want to try and be careful of the language I use talking about this because we're talking about the death of a real person. But um, it seemed kind of like arrestingly sort of tragic and sort of poetic, this idea, because Chris McCall was a primary school teacher who was involved in the space program specifically to interest children in what was going on. So you had then, like crowds of children that day around yeah. the TV and that's like... With their teachers saying, look at this, and then it blew up. And it's a sort of, you know, and there's, there's very little more kind of triumphalist and phallic about Western scientific civilization than a space shuttle, do you know what I mean? And it fucked up. Um, and there's, you know, and there's something kind of interesting about that, um, at the very least. Um, so it's, and then, I mean, well, this is then we get onto the indefinable part of, of creation, which is the thing that no one will ever be able to kind of quantify or examine. Um, it's the sort of holy grail, and, you know, just at some point, and I just, I was thinking about different angles to come on it, and then at some point we just started writing, and the words as they all came down, so. Are there any English authors you feel need more recognition? Um, yeah, probably loads. I mean, um, in terms of... Uh, yeah, like 10 minutes, just so I listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I mean, um, the first person that springs to mind is Bill Drummond, who, uh, he was in a band called the KLF. Um, uh, I yeah. fucking love the KLF. Yeah, he was a singer from KLF, and he's written, he's now a writer, and he, his books, he is fucking barking mad, that guy. <laughs> and also a complete genius. He, he, there's a book of his called 45, which is like required reading. Like he, I don't even want to tell you any of the stories. You just got to read it. Like, he's so mad, but he, but he's so intelligent in his madness. It's kind of awesome. Um, so I read a lot of his stuff. Um, my recent kind of like thing that I've been into, I live in London. My fam, my dad's family is from London and I'm very attached to the city. And, um, but there's a whole sort of, uh, genre of kind of London psychogeography um, and sort of history and like esotericism and that kind of thing. So, which I find really um, fascinating. And there are writers like Ian Sinclair and Peter Ackroyd um, and Sarah Wise and people like this. And I've been getting really, really into reading their stuff. Um, and uh, I've got sort of vague ambitions to try and write a kind of London history book myself. Um, that's an extremely not set in stone statement, yeah. but uh, but I've got some ideas about areas covering that kind of thing. But like I just I, I adore London, I adore and it just it's there's something really truly remarkable about you know a world city that's been inhabited continuously for two thousand five hundred years. Yeah. You know you can walk down any street and just right about it. Yeah, and just kind of fall through time. Like you fall in the cracks through reality sort of quite quickly, and I, I like that a lot. Is there a specific part of London history you want to write about, or just right now, just? Yes, definitely. Um, I live in an area called Holloway. Um, N7 is the postal code, which is why I have that tattooed, with a Stanley Dormant Holloway drawing on my <laughs> wrist. Um, and uh, it's where my dad grew up, and it's where loads of my family live, and it's where I live. And it's also, I mean, helpfully for my budding literary career, an area that's not really ever had any kind of dedicated books written about it. People write books about Islington, and it's kind of North Islington, or people write books about Camden, which is down the way. But I have yet to find many books about Holloway. So you got your own little gap in the market. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, that's kind of an idea that I'm, I'm brewing. Actually, I'm very excited for that. Yeah.
you have a book out, mm. No Beneath My Feet, and you're doing a big thing about it today. Yeah. Were there any key differences in your mindset between writing the book and writing the songs? Yeah, the two are like completely removed to me. So writing is something I find quite difficult to talk about for a number of reasons. Not not because of reluctance on my right. part, but just because, first of all, it's something I've been doing with various degrees of quality and success since I first started playing guitar. You know, I mean, almost the first thing I did with the guitar is swap around two chords and knocking on heaven's door and declare myself a songwriter, which is obviously bullshit, but like, you know, I was always interested in writing my own songs, and I used to scribble out these endless kind of verses and then write down four chords and then shout. And that was those, those are my punk songs when I was a kid, you know. Uh, it's just it's something that's so kind of like ingrained in me. Obviously the process is not the same as it was back then, and like, I think I think quite consciously about songwriting in terms of it, the craft of it and the structure of it, when I think about other people's songs, I quite regularly, I'll pick a band and try and learn every song in their repertoire. Um, I've done that with Weezer, I've done it with Abba, I've done it with Reunion Spectre, um, done it with Chris Christopherson and stuff like that. Just because I think it's interesting to kind of look at the internal structure of a song by other people. But in terms of how I personally go about writing a song, it's I the metaphor that I quite often perk up on this is I feel like a sleepwalker in the sense that kind of like I wake up and there's a load of dead people and I'm carrying a bloody knife and it's like, well, I did this, but I don't remember doing it, you know? Yeah. And like, I can remember when songs did, look, actually, okay, with Silent Key, I can remember when, <laughs> when all there was was notes and notebooks that said Chris McAuliffe and I can remember demoing the song for the first time when I finished it and I couldn't tell you what happened before. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's weird, and like, I'm actually in the middle of quite a kind of fruitful writing period at the moment, but like, I can't, I still can't even. It's uh, this thing. My language runs out. Yeah. Like I had these, I, I, and it's like I definitely. I remember that afternoon I finished that song, but I can't remember what I was doing other than I had a notepad and a pen. You know. Um, so it's quite difficult to talk about writing a book. On the other hand, which was essentially like I got approached to write a book, and my initial response was "fuck off." Um, <laughs> not least because I think that autobiography is written by anybody who's under the age of sixty and a half. You know, uh, if not fundamentally now, full stop. You know, <laughs> right. but um, uh, but we talked about it, me and the publisher, and like this idea of talking about Henry Rollins' memoirs and that kind of thing. And right. It's something that was kind of like didn't it specifically doesn't have ambitions to autobiography, like holistic autobiography. You know, it's sort of temporally constrained and, and materially constrained. So that seemed interesting to me. So we did that. And but the thing was, like, after we sort of agreed a structure and a and a vibe for the book. I was kind of like, well, I've written articles before, you know, and I find it quite easy to write magazine articles. Yeah. I, I generally kind of knock them out reasonably quickly, so I was like, eh, yeah, <laughs> this is going to be fine. This is going to be like kind of 50 loads in a row. And that was such, such total hubris. <laughs> I, um, and like, it was a really difficult process for me. In places, I had some real kind of like, ah, kind of throwing things at my laptop screen kind of moments um, here and there. Um, and. I'm kind of really glad about that in a way, in the sense that the I found it to be a rewarding experience, and I feel like I learned, I challenged myself, and I learned something about myself. And the, the other thing is that now this idea, talking about doing another book later, which I very much want to do, is I now I'm fully aware of how hard this can be. First of all, because I wrote one book already, but secondly, because the book that I wrote was about the easiest thing to write a book about, namely my version of yeah. events. So <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I didn't really have to do any research because, the, as the introduction says, it's like this is how I remember it. Fuck you if you think differently, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and so, like, if I'm writing a book about something else, I'm actually going to have to knuckle down and do some serious kind of intellectual heavy lifting, which, um, which is now suitably daunting to me, but also attractive. Right. Do you know what I mean? I think that's yeah, a cool right. idea. It's definitely it's given me a ton more kind of respect for people who write books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
I have a few friends who write books and I've sort of kind of slightly <laughs> gone to them and I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. It. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. What you do is incredible, you know? Would you ever do a second book like The Road Beneath My Feet? Because I feel like I, I read the book and there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's parts in the book where you're like, this is a great story for another time. Yeah. Um, well, that's a, that, that is also an interesting question because there's a degree of functionality to the book, uh, to The Road Beneath My Feet. When I was a kid, I read, I, I've always read kind of music memoirs and, and that kind of thing pretty religiously. Um, I mean, partly because I like them and partly because it almost feels like kind of like career research, you know what I mean? It's like I want to be in the music industry, I want to know the history of the music industry and how it works. Um, but uh, <clears throat> the first book that I read as a kid that made me feel like I knew what being in band was actually like was Get in the Van by Henry Rollins and I loved it. And I, there are so many books about bands that skip over what I consider to be the interesting parts. You know, it's like, I don't give a fuck about drug problems and divorces. They're not interesting to me. I'm interested in the creative process and then the technical process of being a musician. And um, actually there's a book coming out soon written by Queen's uh, crew manager, their roadie, and they, there was an excerpt that was online, and it was like, every rock and roll book should be like this. Because it was just about how long they soundtrack for, which songs they soundtrack with, how many trucks they had, how they moved the piano to the middle of the stage. Well, you know, the okay, yeah. shit that I yeah. care about. Um, anyway. So I want it to be a functional thing about being on the road. It's specifically, you know, the book isn't, as I'm, as I'm sure you've noticed, is not a book about songwriting, it's not a book about recording, and it's not an autobiography of my life. Right. Um, so the first thing is thinking about writing another book, because that's the other thing, the book that goes up to 2012. Um, and people have asked, like, is there a part two coming where you keep it going? The answer to that is probably not, simply because the interesting point about the book, and this is kind of why the public got in touch with me, is how you go from playing squat shows to playing arena shows. Right. Once you get to the point, and I'm not sort of, I don't want to kind of rest on my laurels particularly, but like, the process of touring becomes a lot less interesting once it, you're an established right. artist, you know what I mean? You, it's a lot you go from like, the Diamonds <coughs> to Wembley, and yeah. after that it's like... Well, I basically, my tour manager kind of tells me which airport to be at, and how many pieces of clothes <laughs> I need, and then I do that. And of course shit happens here and there, but it's no longer kind of, the kind of sort of wild west part of my career. Certainly in that phase of it is sort of an end now and, and like that's not to say that I don't often think about like possibly just packing a bag and going trying to tour the Ukraine or something just for right. shits and giggles. But between two thousand twelve and now I've done a shit ton of touring and it's been pretty regimented. It's been with a crew boss and with a tour manager on a tour bus and with a lighting engineer and you know, we do we do eighteen month tours and yeah, that's what we do. And and um that just strikes me as less interesting. Um, there's less anecdotes to go around. But um, I've been thinking about trying to write a book about songwriting. Um, that would be very hard for me, but again, I like trying to do things that are hard. Um, so yeah, maybe, but probably not just a part two of the one that exists. There's a, there's a great book I've read, it's Songwriters on Songwriting. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. It's like a huge like 500 page book and it's a chapter, like each chapter is a different artist. They have like Bob Dylan, Joe Walsh, like Willie Nelson, yeah, like yeah. all these different aspects. I'll shoot you an Amazon link. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that actually sounds fucking great. That sounds that's very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, because like, as I say, I do think about songwriting as a kind of, because there's art and craft, that's the thing yeah. about songwriting. Songwriting is both an art and a craft, and you can spend a fucking lifetime thinking about the craft side of it, and it's worth doing. And there are a lot of songwriters out there who I think are phenomenal craftsmen, all women, um, but that also to be a good song and to be worth listening to needs to have the art side of it and that's the part that we can't talk about because right. it's, um, it's ineluctable. It's like a, it's yeah. just hard. I mean, that's all it is. Alright, so are there any musicians you would like to see write books? Either a memoir or a work um, fiction? 
<laughs> yeah, probably loads. There's that Nine <laughs> Facts book coming out, which I think is probably going to be total fucking carnage. <laughs> um, I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dylan. Dylan, I wish Dylan would write a fucking book where he just told the truth. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean that Dylan's a liar, but I mean that Dylan is such a self-created construct. Right. And in some ways, I respect him for that, and I understand that he's very calculated, and he knows exactly what he's doing. But I wish he'd just kind of, like, just it's shoot on the hip for a bit. Well, you know? Yeah, yeah, and like this is the I'm representing and here's what happened. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. he's and he's never done that and he never fucking does Um But but you know, I'm sure that there's a whole host of shit that guy could say. So let's maybe say that. <laughs> Our last interview mentioned uh, John K. Sampson. John, I suspect will. I mean, um I was chatting with John the other day. He is a phenomenal writer. Um I think that um yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I mean, I doubt he'd write a book about himself because he's so totally self-effacing as a person. But definitely like a fiction or something. Yeah, yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. Alright. Um, so from where I'm standing, sitting, I can see your new Don't Panic tattoo, uh, mm-hmm. Douglas Adams. Do you have any other literary tattoos? Yes, I've got fucking loads. Hold on, <laughs> let me just... I actually... This is the thing, I've long since passed the point where I just have to remind myself what I have tattooed. <laughs> Um, I mean, the one that springs to mind immediately is that which is a Philip Larkin line, What Will Survive Us of Love? It's from the poem Arundel Tomb by Philip Larkin. Philip Larkin is like my favourite poet. Um, I adore his stuff. Uh, I've got the line from the Torah up there, Hebrew Torah, Alpha and Amiga for the first and last of the, of the um, New Testament. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, a few. I mean, that's the one I was thinking of actually, What Will Survive Us of Love? And then I've also got Wiley Coyote with Death and Glory at the moment. I've been trying to figure out who that is. Oh yeah, it actually needs redoing a bit. That was a kind of drunk dressing room tattoo. <laughs> done very well. But yeah, Wiley Coyote, who's my uh, inspiration in life. Because you know why? Fuck the road runner. It's all about Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote, every single day, his plans go to shit. And you know what he does? He dusts himself off and he has another go. And for that, he will always be my hero. Finally, Frank, cool. what is the last book you read, or what book? Um, I'm, well, I, I, as I was saying, I read pretty voraciously. I'm in the middle of trying to reread the entire Dickens catalogue because, again, I read quite a little bit when I was younger, and now, that, particularly now that I'm getting obsessed with kind of London history, you kind of have to know your Dickens. So, yeah. I'm into that. Um, but I'm also right now I'm reading the Diaries of Victor Klemperer, who was a um, Jewish German Jewish literary professor who amazingly lived through the entire period of the entire Nazi period in Dresden obviously suffered enormously but he wrote what is almost the only surviving first hand account of what it was like to be a German Jew in Germany under Nazism um, so I'm volume two of that that, that sounds fantastic yeah it's kind of he's, it's interesting because it's so personal and that you kind of get inside his head which makes it all more affecting because he's kind of writing about sort of his wife's foibles and sort of how his back's doing and like right. what he's reading at the moment and all this kind of shit and then it's like oh yeah and then from today we have to sew a yellow star into our jackets and it's kind of like fuck um it really brings it home um oh yeah there's, there's one person I wanted to, I don't understand what context I should mention this uh, but like Clive James incidentally you familiar with Clive James? I am not my favourite writer of all by country fucking mile <laughs> he, he's an Australian literary critic who spent most of his life and career in, in London um, and he wrote a book called Cultural Amnesia and it is the single greatest and most important book that I've read in my life I never actually read it definitely gonna write that down alright um, thank you Frank uh, Mittens out now digitally yep. <laughs> on Extra Mile Records positive yep. songs for negative people also um, out 
Yeah. Extra Mile. Yeah. Uh, history album, whatever. Yeah, that's coming down in five times sometime. And I'm going to go do the sound check. All right, sounds good. Awesome. All right, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much, friend. Cheers, appreciate it. Thank you, Frank.